This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hello and welcome to Saver, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about mulberries. Yes, the fruit that I thought was a myth. <laughs> something out of fantasy. <laughs> nope, nope, it's real. <laughs> yep, that's what I've come to find out. And many listeners wrote in about it after I said that I thought it was a myth. Um, but also people wrote in about it before. Uh, seems to have captured many people's imagination and attention. Yeah, it's a, it's a very nostalgic thing for for some people because in climates where it grows, uh, it, it is very prolific and you can just kind of like shake a tree and get a whole bunch of like a little handful of berries as you're walking somewhere. And oh, yeah, um, for sure, for sure, I am doing this reading made me miss uh, my previous home here in Atlanta, which had a side yard with um, with a whole bunch of more or less wild mulberry trees in it. And so every every summer, there would just be yard berries. There would just be so many yard berries. And I would just, like, especially during um, the shutdown last summer, I, I didn't really feel comfortable going anywhere. So I would just be, like, be, like, doing laps around the yard and, like, picking berries and um. Yeah. Very and lovely. yes. And what yes. did you do with them? Mostly, I froze them because it was like cups and cups and cups and cups of berries. Um, but I I also just poured wine over a bunch of them and had like mulberry mm. sangria. I'm not sure if it counts if it's like two ingredients. 
but I think it counts. <laughs> I think it counts. <laughs> uh, also, this made me remember that um, while I was, I, I got to travel to England about 10 years ago, um, and uh, I was staying mostly in Reading, and the 14th century abbey that happens to be smack in the middle of what is otherwise more or less a a very nice strip mall um, kind of town. Um, There's this 14th century abbey, and it had this beautiful century-plus-old mulberry tree that was really creepy. It looked like it was about to, like, start, like, walking across the lawn at you like a a Tim Burton creature. Um, Last unicorn. And, yeah, yeah. and, and 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 so I looked this tree up, and it turns out it collapsed recently. What? And so they've got a team of arborists out there trying to help it. But I had to just cut myself off from going down a really deep dive about this one tree and what's been being done about it. So anyway, Forbury Park, Mulberry Tree. I hope you're doing okay. Our thoughts are out. Yeah, we're, we're out all to you. We're all rooting for you. Pun absolutely intended. Because <laughs> that's where our love comes from. Puns. That's <laughs> how we show it. Yes. <laughs> so that's how you know we're really we're really rooting for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay. In the meantime, I guess that brings us to our question. <laughs> I guess so. Mulberries. What are they? Well, uh, mulberries are a type of fruit that grows on trees in the genus Morris. Um, There are a whole bunch of species and varieties, and they can generally all cross-pollinate and still produce viable seeds. So when I say mulberry, any number of y'all out there might be thinking of a slightly different thing. But but basically, um, a mulberry is like a small, fragile blackberry that grows on tall, woody, sturdy plants instead of short, delicate, viney, or shrubby plants. Which confused me because of the rhyme. Oh, sure. Yeah. I just gave a very vicious point. <laughs> you, 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 you did. You did. I feel I, I like, j'ai like, not. I'm not attacking you, Lauren. <laughs> but you happen to be the source of my ire at this moment. Um, but oh. yes, all around the mulberry bush, which we will discuss <laughs> briefly. They, they, can, they can be more shrub-like in some circumstances. But oh, oh, okay, mm. okay. Allow me to Allow me to explain. All right. All right, so so mulberry trees can vary in height from around uh, 15 feet, that's about 5 meters, up to about 70 feet, that's about 20 meters. Uh, the roots are generally pretty shallow, though, so it's best to keep them on the short side if you can. Um, they often grow these these real thick branches off of a short trunk, um, and, and then from those thick branches, smaller kind of tangly branches will shoot off. And they develop these tiny clusters of tiny flowers, which, when pollinated, uh, grow wee individual fruits that Voltron together into a single multi-lobed mass on the flower cluster's single stem. Um, botanically speaking, therefore, they are not berries. Um, they are tiny droops, um, that is, a tiny single-seed fruits that have blobbed together for, for, for safekeeping, kind of. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's likely that this evolved to make the joined cluster of fruits more attractive to birds than just the single tiny fruit would have been. Um, and this worked, by the way. I always had to fight birds for my yard berries. It was, it was a losing battle, I have to say. I was about to ask. I, I'm, I'm envisioning this. It's giving me a lot of joy. 
I I don't think it's probably it probably wasn't as cool as you're thinking it was. Like I feel like like in Annie's mindscape right now, it's like it's like Lauren like jumping and punching birds. Like that wasn't that wasn't what happened. Honestly, I feel like I'm someone who finds joy and coolness and very um not to insult you, Lauren, in this case, <laughs> but minor things. Uh so I I'm just envisioning you like Birds? <laughs> now you get out of here. <laughs> I've warned you about this before, birds. And being completely ignored. <laughs> yeah. And then being like, tweet? <laughs> More berries, thank you. More berries. <laughs> yeah. Both are excellent. Both are excellent. Yes. Uh, uh, the mulberry is actually related to uh, figs and breadfruit and jackfruit. Um, which are also uh, masses of many small fruits. Just uh, uh, figs are inside out instead of being outside out. Yes, uh, you can see our episodes uh, uh, on those for more about those. Um, but yeah, a, a mulberry will start out pale green and then ripen um, uh, if it is uh, a female fruit to creamy white or pink or red or purple or near black. Some varieties are short and kind of roundish. Others grow long, like uh, the size and shape of a pinky finger. And yes, the resulting fruit can vary. Um, my experience with them is that they're, yeah, just just so delicate and like and like squishable. Um, but they taste bright, uh, so, sort of like a, a slightly grapey, sweeter strawberry or raspberry, um, like like sweet end of a of a of a raspberry, tart end of a strawberry. I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, tend to be pretty juicy and finger staining. They are everything staining. Um, the sidewalks around town are like poke dotted with mulberry stains every summer. Um, the trees will grow in temperate climates all over the world. They like having a little bit of a winter. Um, the berries can be eaten out of hand or made into jams and jellies, baked into sweet quick breads, used for pies, made into juice or wine. Um, some species and varieties, especially the wild ones, can be pretty seedy. Um, like as in the seeds are prominent, um, not like they're hanging out at dive bars waiting to shark you in a game of pool. Um, so your 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 applications may vary from from tree to tree. Um, the leaves are sometimes used as well, um, dried and then steeped in hot water to make tea. And uh, the leaves and fruit can also be used for for livestock feed in some places. Yes, yes. Um, okay. Well, what about the nutrition? Uh, mulberries are pretty good for you on their own. A good punch of fiber along with their sugars, smattering of vitamins and other micronutrients. They will help fill you up, but to keep you going, pair them with some protein and some fat. Um, there are compounds, um, both in the berries, especially the, the, the darker, purplier berries, um, and in some of the non-fruit parts of the mulberry plant that are under investigation for a number of promising potential properties, um, anti-diabetic, anti-microbial, anti-cancer, uh, pro-cardio health. But as always, uh, bodies are complicated. More research is necessary before ingesting a medicinal amount of anything. Consult a doctor who is not us. Eat a vegetable. Eat a vegetable. Drink a water. Yeah. Always. <laughs> Also, uh, mulberry uh, tree bark contains some latex, so just watch out for that if you have a latex allergy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, we do have some numbers for you. We do. Um, there are some 68 species within the Morris genus and thousands of cultivated varieties. Yes. 
There's, however, not a lot of trade in mulberries because they are so delicate. They don't really keep or ship well and thus have really only started to be explored for commercial production of fruit over the past, like, 20 years or so. Um, That said, as of 2015, uh, the U.S. imported nearly 3.4 million pounds of frozen mulberries. Um, And China is the top grower of mulberry trees by far. Uh, India has less than half as much acreage as they do, and they come in second. Um, but, wow. but these trees are not necessarily being grown for the mulberry fruit. That is true. And that is quite an interesting part of the history. Yes, and we are going to get into that history. But first, we are going to get into a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressings, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Mount Park. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Okay, so depending on the mulberry in question, Uh there are a lot of origin places and dates. Sure. Up in the air, white and black mulberries are believed to have originated in Asia and or the Middle East at least 5,000 years ago, where it was used medicinally for centuries. Mm -hmm. 
Red mulberries are thought to be native to North America. Um, Mulberry seeds excavated near Rome indicate ancient Romans were growing black mulberry trees because, like you said, Lauren, um, these berries don't keep very long, and they're kind of delicate. Um, So they probably weren't imported. So the fact Mm -hmm. that they found these there suggests that they were being grown. Yeah. Exactly. Um, From seeds like this, historians have also determined that mulberry trees were growing in London by the 5th century CE, if not before. Also, aside, as a researcher, very interesting to me that uh, England in specific has a lot of, like, data and research on mulberries. Yeah, it's it's a whole cultural phenomenon. I love it. Me too. Also got me thinking about how many times. This is, I think this is part of why I thought it was out of fantasy. It's because sure. I've huh. read it yeah. in so many And the books. nursery rhyme and you've right. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Exactly. Um, early Greek and Roman writers described mulberries, including our pal Pliny. Um, so they were writing about them both medicinally and culinarily. According to some archaeological evidence, the history of silk production in China, where silk production is believed to have been invented, goes back somewhere between 3000 and 7000 BCE. And okay, if you're curious, like, cool. Why, like, uh, why are we talking about this? <laughs> right. Um, but it kind of, as Lauren alluded to, the mulberry tree, and especially white mulberry tree, which was native to this area, was huge in feeding silkworms to produce the silk. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, mulberry leaves, and specifically the leaves of the white mulberry, um, are apparently just their favorite food. Exactly. So this was kind of an episode where it got hard to tease out <laughs> the talking about the history of silk versus talking about the history yeah. of mulberry. Um, but yes, uh, China did dominate this industry and kept their secret of how they did it for thousands of years. But yes, this is a food show. The history of silk is overwhelming. I tried to like oh. get a wrangle on it. Yeah. And then I was like, I gotta stop. I gotta stop. <laughs> yeah, it's um that's that's definitely a whole other suite of episodes for a whole other suite of of shows that are mm-hmm. probably not ours. Um yes. but uh gen- generally speaking, um the, the the white mulberry that is preferred for for silkworm feed is not as popular as a berry producer or a fruit producer, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um also, hey, fun times with the nomenclature. Um, the particular species um uh that's called white mulberry, and even its taxonomical name is is uh M alba, it does not necessarily produce white colored fruit. They can they can be red or purple or pink. Um, also, the red mulberry, which is the natively American mulberry, can be purple. The black mulberry is usually black, but, you know, weird stuff happens. So. <laughs> Again, I'm annoyed, but I can also relate because I take <laughs> these kinds of shortcuts all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Um, mulberry trees are planted at monasteries throughout England, often used for their shade. Unfortunately, during the 16th century, when Henry VIII broke with the Catholic Church so he could divorce Catherine of Aragon, many of the monasteries and abbeys were ransacked, including their mulberry trees and the history around those mulberry trees. Uh, But still, the trees were very favored amongst the aristocracy who sometimes used it, used them as a way to showcase how much better off they were when compared to everyone else, including Queen Elizabeth I. Huh. Okay. Apparently got in on that game. Cool. Yeah. 
And again, since these berries didn't last long, it meant you had to grow them for yourself to impress folks with. Like, hmm. you had to have your own. Yeah, yeah. Tree. Oh, no, 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 no. I got my own tree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mulberry leaves were also used in making silk in Europe beginning at least in the 13th century in Italy and by the 15th century in France, perhaps as early as the 5th century in Spain with the arrival of the Arab civilization there. Um, These industries used black and white mulberry leaves to feed silkworms. In fact, from 1607 to 1608, King James I requested that nobility plant 10,000 or 100,000. Ooh. I saw in some sources, and I almost made that mistake. So I was like, did everyone just make the same mistake I almost did? Or <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's. Huh. I mean, either way, a lot. There's a big difference there, but it's still a lot, I would uh-huh. say. Either way. Um, yes, plant this huge number of mulberry trees so England could compete in Europe's silk industry. However, the industry didn't really take off in that country, partially because most people planted black mulberry trees, which don't produce as fine of silk when it comes to silkworm feed as white mulberry trees. So King James and or his advisors thought the climate might be the issue there. So he had them planted in the colony of Virginia. And the tree did flourish there, but was not a commercially successful venture for England. It did make money, um, but didn't really... Didn't really take off. Yeah, yeah. Um, Apparently, there was a law passed in 1662 um, by the uh, by the British Empire saying that plantation owners in um, North America had to have at least ten mulberry trees per a hundred acres of land, or they could be fined ten pounds of tobacco. Oh, however, uh, plantations producing at least a thousand pounds of silk were eligible to receive a bonus 5,000 pounds of tobacco. So, incentives. Like settlers of Catan came. I know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> uh, before the Revolutionary War, Georgia, uh, the state, uh, perhaps obviously, processed silk for the British Empire. And even earlier in the mid-1500s, Spanish conquistador Hernando de Soto wrote about the southeastern North American Muscogee people eating dried mulberries. Um, they also baked baked them in cornbread and used them for dyes. I've read that the dye is very potent and powerful and staining. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, other Native American peoples dried them for winter too, uh, mixed them with water to make jams or sauces, among other things, used them for a bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I read that uh, down south in what's now Florida, uh, Seminole people used the branches of making bows. Ah, um, in 1685, many Protestants fleeing religious persecution arrived in England, um, and many of whom were silk weavers, along with imported silk. So not, you know, English, English silk, but they were able to, to get the industry going in England by the 1700s without mulberry leaves. Ah. Again, it was so hard to separate out the history of silk from the history of <laughs> mulberries. Very, very tied in. Yeah. Yes. General Oglethorpe. Uh, transported 500 white mulberry trees to Georgia with the idea of using them to make silk in 1733. That same year, naturalist William Bartram wrote that all landowners in North American colonies should grow white mulberry trees for the silk industry. Thomas Jefferson has some planted, allegedly every 20 feet. I think it was Hmm. called Mulberry Row. Um, The website of Monticello was very helpful with all of this, by the way. (laughs) Huh. Cool. Yeah. After becoming president of Yale College in 1778, 
Ezra Stiles pressed the staff to plant an acre of mulberry trees for each of their children because Silk had, quote, ever claimed the attention of the best and most cultivated <laughs> minds. What? <laughs> yes. He didn't stop there either, handing out mulberry seeds and silkworm eggs all over New England. He often wrote about silk. He wore a silk robe from his own creation, his own silk that he'd made to Yale's commencement address in 1789. And he wasn't the only proponent of silk. It was also popular as a lighter load when it came to work for women, children, and those who were ill. Some abolitionists suggested it as a way to avoid cotton produced by enslaved peoples. The belief was that putting these groups to work would increase productivity, but also keep them from getting into trouble due to boredom. Ah. Uh-huh. Huh. A.K.A. increased productivity equaled increased morality. These ideas really got intertwined. Huh. And so this mulberry tree was almost seen as a moral thing, like a oh, moral wow. symbol. Huh. Yeah. Amy Shambliss wrote about this in the 1960s. It could be carried on in orphanages, poorhouses, and institutions of correction, and thus cut public expenses and lower taxes. It supposedly gave a spiritual uplift to all engaged in it by reminding them of how much beauty comes into the world through a plain-looking worm. (laughs) Hmm. She went on to clarify that most states north of Virginia subsidized silk raising. The Secretary of the Treasury released a manual about the industry in 1826, and in 1836, John Quincy Adams suggested silk growth as a way to decrease reliance on imports. Because of how quickly mulberry cuttings could multiply per year, he said that the mulberry tree could put the farmer on the same playing field as the capitalist. Wow. I know. Uh Uh-huh. So silk was all the rage in the 1830s. In fact, it was reported to the U.S. Department of Agriculture that, quote, Suddenly and by a simultaneous and spontaneous impulse, the people of the United States have directed their attention to this source of national riches. Everywhere, from north to south, mulberry trees have been planted and silkworms raised. And it was, like, such a big deal. There were so many articles written about how it was the silk bubble. Um, But people even sold fraudulent silkworm eggs. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. And all of this meant that people rushed to get into this mulberry silk business. Some early entrepreneurs made 500% to 1,000% profits. The mulberry trees themselves became more attractive than the silk. Trees purchased increased exponentially in value by the 1830s, rising 100 times from $5 per 100 trees. Oh, I know. (laughs) But... This all ended in 1839 when a credit contraction convinced small buyers to sell. The next year, there was a freeze, damaged a lot of trees, a lot of berries. And a few years later, there was a blight, did the same thing. That really was the nail in the coffin of this country's mulberry industry. There were some attempts to reverse this. California government officials issued a bounty for silkworm cocoons and mulberry trees. And yes, I did think of the Mandalorian spinoff of this, and perhaps I'll share it one day. Um, (laughs) However, the finances of all of that became too much by 1867, and the bounties were revoked, but several cocooneries popped up across the state. 
And and around the country, uh, the trees did make a comeback in, in some places, certainly, um, like to the point that today, the, the, the white mulberry, which was the one that was being imported for silk-related purposes, um, is considered invasive today. Right. Yeah, a lot of articles were written about how <laughs> invasive it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so really, really briefly, because I had to know, mm-hmm. the rhyme, Pop Goes the Weasel, originated in the 1850s in England. And this version did not include the lime I am familiar with all around the mulberry bush. Um, is that how you've heard it? That's Lauren? how I've heard it too. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All around the mulberry bush, the monkey chased the weasel. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> that line was one of the U.S. variations. Ah, huh. Also, apparently, the song is about pawning off your suit at the end of the night to pay for drinks. Or maybe not at all. <laughs> That's what the popular kind of uh, yeah. understanding of it is. But other kind of historians in this are like, no, it probably didn't mean that. Um, huh. It might have just been catchy and a fun song, like a fun <laughs> drinking song. <laughs> History's mysteries. And one of the possible reasons given for this U.S. variation of All Around the Mulberry Bush is that in the 19th century, mulberry trees did become associated with economic prosperity and moral productiveness in the United States. So huh. that's interesting. I'd love to hear from listeners because there, there's a lot of versions of this, this rhyme, apparently. Oh, very fascinating. Okay. Uh, cool. Yes. Um, in 1918, mulberries were reported growing in Bermuda. They were probably going before then, but that's when our written record says that they were reported. Um. For D-Day, the U.S. and U.K. constructed two artificial harbors to make sure there would be a steady supply of soldiers and resources for this World War II well-known event. Um, These harbors were called Mulberry A and Mulberry B. Um, I'm sure there's a reason for it. Yeah. The websites did not give me it readily, (laughs) but I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. Um, the British uh, leather goods brand Mulberry started up in 1971 in Somerset. Um, the, the name and the, the tree logo, um, still used today, um, was inspired by, yeah, trees in the area that the founder had walked by as a child going to school. Huh. Okay. Research published in 2009 found, um, okay, so they were looking into why silkworms like mulberry leaves so much. And they found there's a compound in there that apparently just smells real attractive to silkworms. Mm -hmm. And that is why they prefer the mulberry to other plants. And it's this compound that that smells like jasmine. Oh. Yeah. Of course. Um, I know. (laughs) I don't know why I was moved by that. I was. It's just such a beautiful scent. And I'm like, oh, we we have this in common, silkworms. We are the same. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The Baltimore Orchard Project launched Mulberry Madness in 2014 to raise awareness around mulberries, um, trying to change their reputation from invasive pest to a desired crop. At the same time, they pointed out that Middle Eastern immigrants were introducing their cuisine to the United States, especially the Washington, D.C. area, I believe. Hmm. Um, And this cuisine often used mulberries and that that was helping popularize this 
ingredient. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. yeah, and uh, and right now, um, the University of Minnesota has a project called the Mysterious Mulberry to Ooh. log and identify, or I guess identify and then log, um, red versus white mulberry trees um, and hybrids thereof. Uh, citizen science, I love it. Me too. Yeah, you can, you can Google Mysterious Mulberry if you uh, want to oh, read more please. about it or get in on the action. Yeah. Please do. Let's get this saver. I know you listeners can help out with this effort. Mysterious Mulberry also really easily lends itself to our food cartoon comic series. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There there has to be a cape involved. Oh, yeah. I'm picturing like, (laughs) what's his name? Like Mighty Duck, Dark Duck? Darkwing Duck. Yeah, that's definitely what I was picturing. Yes. We're on the same wavelength. Um, yes, uh, yes. But in the meantime, please illustrate it, listeners, should you desire. But also, um, that's what we have to say about the mulberries for now. But we do have some listener mail for you. We do. But first, we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. (laughs) Give me museums. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. The big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with Liz. It's hard to do all around the board. It is. I and uh, apologies. I like immediately, I, or like like after, like when I figured out what you were doing, I just started laughing <laughs> instead of doing it along with you. Sometimes um. that my art inspires <laughs> only laughter. Uh. It's it's a serious laughter, but a laughter nonetheless. Uh, um, that was that was a good one. That was a good one. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, Delia, or perhaps Dahlia, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, wrote, I just got done listening to your Aquafaba episode and loved it. I am vegan and have used it in various quick breads to much success. I also enjoy frying them up with turmeric and Himalayan black salt to get an egg-like color and sulfuric taste, respectively. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Like you, I was surprised to learn how recent this vegan staple is. I perhaps foolishly thought using it was a much older thing than food blogs had recently Quote, discovered. I recently listened to many episodes of your show on a long car ride with my partner, and we have two fairly pressing episode <laughs> requests. But of course, we understand y'all are busy and have a list of tolerance like that. Um, pressing here refers to our excitement. Keep doing what you're doing. Oh, thank you. Uh, your show is wonderful. I am a microbiology PhD student and longtime sourdough bread baker, and I love listening to your show while I bake. And of course, the microbiologist in me gets super excited anytime a fermentation episode comes up. During my most recent bake, I got to thinking how cool a rye bread episode would be. Many people, myself included, feed their sourdough starter rye flour specifically as it is less processed and microbially rich. <laughs> rye is also the grain that many early colonizers of eastern North America brought over, and not to mention the integral aspect of many amazing sandwiches. Hmm. Could be a really cool episode. Second request is injera. We recently enjoyed a transcendentally delicious meal from a local Ethiopian restaurant here in Ithaca, and I realized I know very little about this lovely bread. Oh, oh yes. Two, I mean, a, a, all the breads. Yes. Yes, we should do episodes on. B, those are two, uh, yeah, yeah, very specific, super different, incredibly delicious types of bread. Yes, I'm excited about learning more about both of those. I remember very vividly the first time I had injera. I had injera. Oh, it was, <laughs> it was also transcendental. It was yes. amazing. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I had some. Oh, I had some really, really, really good Ethiopian um, food when I was out in New Orleans a couple months ago, and in those halicon days when uh, when we didn't know about the Delta variant yet. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah, this 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 listener mail is making me hungry. Yep. Yep. Perhaps <laughs> we should move on. <laughs> uh, Michelle wrote, I was so excited about the corn dog episode, and when you mentioned Cozy Dog, I was grinning ear to ear. You see, Cozy Dog is about three hours south of where I live, and it's a tradition for my husband and I to stop there for corn dogs on our road trips. It's the first official stop before going on towards wherever we're bound. If you're ever in Springfield, Illinois, 
Don't miss Cozy Dog. I've attached some photos I've taken while visiting there. You order corn dogs in quantities of like four or six, and fries come in a basket. Go with your appetites. I hear you being reluctant to eat corn dogs. There are good ones, okay ones, and meh ones. Good ones are hand dipped and fried at the restaurant. Meh ones are frozen and in the grocery store freezer. Don't eat those. Okay ones are generally those fried by restaurants, but not dipped there. And now, there are exceptions to these. For instance, if you're looking for a place to safely try a corn dog, go to Sonic and get some corn dog bites. They're nugget sized corn dogs that you eat with your hand, no stick. They're even good without any sauce. That's how I like them, and they're so yummy. Uh, my favorite corn dog ever was a foot long corn dog at a local county fair. I'm sure I looked silly carrying it around and eating it, but it was so worth it. Fair food is the best. And then a follow up. Okay. So I'm embarrassed because my poor memory caused me to give you an incorrect tip. In my previous email, I mentioned corn dog bites at Sonic, but misremembered that it was actually an A&W drive-in restaurant where we had them recently. I'm sure if Sonic has them that they're good too, but I couldn't let it go until I corrected myself. <laughs> I'm not sure if y'all have any A&W restaurants down there. They're pretty rare these days, but a favorite of mine. Ooh. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I, I believe that Sonic does indeed have corn dog bites. Um... And I don't think we have any A&Ws around here. They're, uh, they're a restaurant I have, a, or a fast food joint anyway, that I have a lot of nostalgia for from road trips when I was uh, living in uh, Ohio and Pennsylvania as a tiny kid. Um, mm -hmm. But lots of, lots of root beer floats were had on those trips. But, yes. um, but No corn dog bites? <laughs> no, 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 no corn dog bites that I remember at the time. I honestly don't remember eating food other than... Mm. <laughs> Those root beer beer floats. Floats. <laughs> yeah. Um goodness. Uh okay, okay, okay. I I I will rail hard against anything and everything at any given moment. Um, but uh but that being said, I'm always willing to try everything. Like, even if it's something that I know I don't like, I'll be like, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> yeah. Same. Unless this could be the time. Dr. Pepper related than get it away from me. Oh, but, uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's probably I mean, my big exception. We all have our limits. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you've got to have one limit at least. And I will say, I really appreciate this corn dog expertise. I, ex I appreciate the breaking down. Oh, yeah. Um, also, the footlong fair corn dog. I mean, that's that's the beauty of the fair. That's the beauty of these foods that probably don't taste good in any other environment, but in that environment, oh, yeah, they're the sure. very best thing. <laughs> oh, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're you've been you've been walking around. You're 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 hungry and thirsty, and there's all the smells and sounds and lights, and uh, yeah, you know, you, you've got you've got funnel cake in one nostril, and 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 yeah, and, and all that just excess of you're like, yeah. oh man, yes, I'm gonna eat so much. Yes, I find that a very powerful memory, actually. That yeah. that smell. Mm -hmm. and, and it's kind of that smell that I've been saying, like, I think that's what I don't like is the old oil. But I, I do have a nostalgia for that smell of, like, this was associated with so many fun yeah. events for me. Yeah. Being at, like, fairgrounds or whatever and getting these kind of ridiculous <laughs> foods that were wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, excitement, yes. excitement makes everything taste better, for sure. That is true. Um, and we're always excited to hear from you listeners. Mm -hmm. Thanks to both of these listeners for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. 
We are also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at SaverPod. We do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.